I'm going to turn to the book of Galatians chapter 6 verse 14 and read from the apostle Paul. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. God forbid that I should boast except in the cross. That is to say that the achievements of the cross were so stupendously, abundantly above any achievements that we might as mortal creatures be able to accomplish that to boast about our meager achievements compared to his extraordinary ones is just a little bit lacking in taste and probably reveals that we haven't seen what we need to see in the cross yet. That's the only thing I can get from what Paul is saying. But it set my mind to thinking because this is a verse that I live by. I want to speak this morning from the subject seeding the clouds. This is how I fight my battles. I've been in a series on seeding the clouds. It is based upon the extraordinary technology that was developed in the 40s, late 40s. Where because of drought and sometimes other circumstances, when rain is needed and doesn't fall, they have learned that they can go up and they can do this in planes. They attach flares to the wings. Or they can cause the plane to seed dry ice through the clouds. Or they can even shoot flares up into the clouds. Or they can even release salt as airplanes fly through the clouds. And the effect has been extraordinary. They can make it rain where there was no rain. And they are literally learning to transform desert areas. Uh, One of the big countries into this right now that has increased their annual rainfall by over 30 some odd percent is the United Arab Emirates. That's desert, man. I've been there. But they're making it rain by seeding the clouds. They've learned to make it snow during the the snow uh, season whenever people go to the, the slopes to ski. If there's no snow, they can send up planes and seed the clouds and cause snow to fall on the slopes so that the skiing season is not ruined for all of these lodges that depend upon that very brief season to make their money. A more important application than maybe just our recreation has been, you know, last week, Lake Charles, or this week, Lake Charles had 15 inches of rain and it was flooded again. Can you believe it? I mean, after two hurricanes back to back and they haven't even recovered from the damage and devastation done yet, now all of this rain and flooding They are learning that they might be able to seed the clouds of a hurricane while they're still out at at the Atlantic or the Gulf and even the Pacific or in some cases typhoons in the east. They're learning that they can seed the clouds and make them dump their rain before they hit land and therefore lessen the severity of the damage caused by these terrible storms. Well... There's a spiritual principle 
in this because often you understand the spiritual by looking at the natural. There are numerous places in scripture where you will find that you can make it rain. You can make it rain spiritually. Amen. In fact, I can saw you, I can show you rather a number of places in scripture where though God promised it, people still had to pray it into existence because of this whole thing of partnership with God. We are his body in the earth, his earthly representatives on a kingdom mandate and mission for him. And oftentimes he speaks it, but then waits for us to pray it and then brings it to pass. One of the most notable of those examples is Elijah, that God specifically told, I'm going to shut up heaven for three and a half years by your word, and then open it again by your word. And at the end of three and a half years, Elijah summons the prophets of Baal, you know the story, calls down fire from heaven on on Mount Carmel, and proves indisputably who God is, and then begins to pray. Puts his head between his knees, and he prays once, twice, three times, four, each time sending a servant to the top of the hill until finally on the seventh occasion, though God promised it, he still prayed it and prayed seven times. And the servant came back and said, well, this time I saw a cloud about the size of a man's hand and Elijah got up, dusted off his knee and said, that's good. Go tell King Ahab, he better get in his chariot and hurry because rain's coming. He seeded the clouds of promise and expectation with prayer and faith. And we've been talking about that. And one of the things that we have been getting into is that to be able to truly do this, you have to have faith in the process and faith in God. And to do that, to have faith in God, you you must know the nature of God. And I dealt with some of that last week, that people that, that believe that God is only sovereign and will never act without influence from any of us, no matter what you pray fast, believe for. If he hasn't already decided it, you know, then you'll never influence God. And the way I understand scripture is like this, you have not because you ask not. And sometimes we don't get it because we don't ask. We are in his sovereignty allowed to participate with him and men manifesting the promises that he has spoken over us. And so I, I wanted to talk to you last Sunday about the nature of God, because until you understand his divine nature, then you don't know really what to believe for and how to pray and how to approach God. And one of the things we talked about last Sunday was the Hebrew letter Shin. And because it's found in the Hebrew alphabet, and there it is. That's a picture of the letter Shin. And last week I shared how that from Genesis to Revelation, our God is a God of blessing. And that symbol represents that. Because the Orthodox Jewish priests were ordered by God in the book of Numbers, the sixth chapter. Commanded by the Lord, every time you dismiss the people of God from having assembled, you do this right here. 
and you hold your hands out in the form of the letter Shin. That's what that represents. And I showed you pictures of the Jewish priests doing that. And what you're doing, he said, is you are pronouncing blessing. And you say, the Lord bless you and keep you. And the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. And they said those words and God told them that when you do this you're putting my name on the people of God putting my name on the people of God and so Jewish people believe so strongly in this they believe that the glory of God literally shines through the hands of the priest when they do this and so Orthodox Jews will turn their back when the priest does this not out of disrespect but it's lest they see the glory of God because no human can see his glory. No one's worthy of that. Or they cover themselves with their prayer shawl, their tallit, and they close their eyes and look at the ground lest they see the glory of God when the priest pronounces that blessing. You see, they believe that the shin literally creates a portal from heaven to earth through which the glory of God shines through the fingers of the priest. I showed you how that we have all been made familiar with that with Leonard Nimoy from Star Trek, raised Jewish. And this was where he got that symbol from right here, half of the shin. And so that became the Vulcan greeting, right? And so when you lift your hands, what you're doing, notice this. See this? Yeah, I'm doing, I'm forming the shin with my hands raised. You might wonder why you come to church and people just automatically want to throw up their hands and worship God. It's because it is instinctive in every one of us to acknowledge the supremacy of our creator and when you get in his presence and worship it doesn't matter who you are even really what your denominational background is from there's just something that makes you want to do this right here amen and throw your hands up but that's not all the shin represents and this is what I've come to talk to you about today Jewish rabbis if they'll put the shin back up there tell us that those three arms also represent teeth mm. and so therein we see the duality of the nature of God we see both the goodness and the severity of the Lord his kindness and gentleness, as well as his willingness to avenge himself of enemies, are those who transgress against his children. Teeth are weapons. And this is significant because our Lord is not only the lamb, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Hello. And he will fight your battles for you and defeat your enemies for you if you will learn to worship him through the middle of your circumstance. When the symbol of the sin is invoked, as you raise your hands, you are literally not only creating, as it were, a portal for glory to come into your life and your family, but you're also creating a portal, as it were, that releases in your worship the lion of the tribe of Judah. You see, again, understand the divine paradoxes of the nature of God. John is on the Isle of Patmos, the only remaining of 
apostle. And he sees in a vision the heavens open on the Lord's day. And he's in the spirit. And he sees an angel with a scroll that is sealed with seven seals. And uh, the angel says, who is worthy to open the seven seals? Or uh, uh, open the scroll and loose the seven seals thereof. And John, who is a pastor, he was an apostle. And he trained other men to be pastors. But at heart, he was a pastor. That's how he served in ministry. John, who has poured himself into helping people become more like Christ, begins to weep because from one end of heaven to the other, the search is made and no one, hear this, no one is found worthy to loose the seven seals and open the scroll. And John begins to weep. All of my life I've poured into helping people and no one is worthy. Not even I'm worthy. And an elder speaks up and says, John, you can dry your tears and stop weeping now. Because the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed to open the scroll scroll and loose the seven seals and John looks up from his weeping looking for a lion and he sees a lamb and he says the one you call the lion is the one I've known as the lamb of God my entire adult life you see John was there when John the Baptist, because he was one of John the Baptist's disciples, when John looked up that day and said, as he was baptizing, right in the middle of the baptismal ceremony with hundreds gathered, maybe thousands and thousands, John suddenly pauses and looks and says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And he stops in the middle of the baptismal ceremony John looks up and sees who it is coming down to the muddy water's edge of Jordan's river. And it was Jesus. And he said to the angel, the one you call the lion, I know is the lamb. Hallelujah. Because that's the other nature of the God that I serve. And whenever you raise your hands in blessing... You not only are releasing the glory of God to come, you're releasing the line of the tribe of Judah to fight your battles for you. Somebody give him some praise in this place today. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Last week we talked about one of the names that God is known by. It's one of his earliest names. It's found numerous times in the book of Genesis. And that name is El Shaddai. The letter Shin is used in the name El Shaddai. There it is. Hebrew reads from the right to the left. So the first two letters represent El. And then the next letters represent Shaddai. The meaning of El Shaddai is fascinating. (laughs) It doesn't just mean God. (laughs) It's an abbreviated form to say that that means God. It really has to do with God's amazing ability to meet every need you and I might ever have. Because El Shaddai literally means the many-breasted one. Or by inference, what it means is the God who is more than enough. 
And you have to understand back in the day and in the culture where people were accustomed to agriculture and, and all of that, they knew what life was like as it were on the farm. And here is this little run of the litter that can't get any of its mother's milk, not to worry, because El Shaddai is the many-breasted one. He has time for every person. He has what it takes to meet every need. He will never turn back to reach for a blessing and the blessing not be there. Hallelujah. He is never exhausted in his supply. Never runs out, never diminished. He never says, hold on guys, I think we're running a little short here. Let's wait till we get some more supplies in. And when I read this, that he is El Shaddai, what it literally means is this, that he is the God that is more than enough. It's also abbreviated when you say he is the God who is enough. What it literally by inference means is he's the God who never runs out. He's got more than you will ever possibly need. He's got more blessings than you need, more healing than you need. Hello, more deliverance than you need. God's got more love than you can possibly ever consume or embrace. God's got more than enough. I can't help but think of Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 29. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. (laughs) Look at your neighbor across the aisle and say, don't worry. Uh, I need to hear somebody say that like they mean it. Don't worry. Amen. That's what Jesus said. Tell them now, Jesus said that, not me. Do not worry what you will eat or what you will drink. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room right now. I'm talking to somebody that's stressed out. I'm talking to somebody that is struggling. The Lord wants you to know you can stop worrying. He's got this. He's already backstopped it. He knows what you need. He knows where you're at. He's got what you are wanting. He's everything that you could possibly desire. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Then he says this, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into borns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not... Not of more value than birds. I know you might have called your husband a bird brain, but he's worth more than birds. Amen. Amen. Look over and say, you're better than the birds. God loves you more than birds. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to a statue? You can't. I'm talking to somebody that's stressed out, worried about a situation. El Shaddai wants you to know he's got what you need. He has your supply. Amen. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. You see, the real problem is not his supply. It isn't limited. There are no shortages. There are no quotas. You will never have to worry about a rain check from God. Amen. The real problem is our priorities. Because you go on down just a couple of more verses and it says this. Seek first the kingdom of God. Not second, not third, not fourth. 
first. Hello, somebody. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry. There it is again. Do not worry. Do not worry. Stop stressing out. I'm talking of somebody you've taken more Prozac than you're supposed to. Amen. Oh, let me not even go there. Amen. Look, you're stressed out, you're worried, and you still haven't fixed your problem. But right behind you, there's somebody called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. If you will worship in the middle of your dilemma, God's glory is going to be released into your situation. Not only that, he will come fight that problem for you. The God who is more than enough, and this blesses me, actually knows what enough is. Think about it for just a minute. The God who's more than enough actually knows what enough is. Amen. That is, he knows whenever you have reached the limit. Either stressed out, he will never put any more on you than you can handle. That's the promise of the word of God. Somebody that's going through it right now, did you hear what I just said? He will never put more on you. Then you can handle. But that's not all that means. It also tells you a little bit about his nature. When I say that he actually knows what enough is. I want you to think for a moment about Jesus. Because we have embodied in the Christ. We have the eternal spirit of God. Now watch this. Because I want you to realize, and we oftentimes get so focused that we don't stop to make these distinctions. But Jesus is as much God as he is man. Fully God, fully human. That's what we're told in the creed. He is fully God. He is fully human. Amen. And so when Jesus, if you look at him and you, you, you examine his life, you will, you will see that when he breaks the fishes and loaves, he's demonstrating the principle that I'm talking about. Because within him was the spirit of the God that measured the waters of the ocean and you to the last drop how much it would take to fill up the Pacific. You got me? You hear him what I'm saying? But he's breaking the fishes and loaves on two occasions. Once he feeds 5,000 men plus all of the women and children probably upwards of 20,000 people. The other occasion, 4,000 men plus the women and the children. Now, as he is breaking it, don't you think he knew exactly how much the crowd could eat even uncle fred who can really pack away the tacos jesus knew to the last bite how much that crowd would need and does he stop when it reaches that point no in my mind i can almost see him chuckle Watch how I blow their minds. And he keeps on breaking until they take up 12 baskets full. The God that I'm referring to today is never just enough. He's always more than just enough. Hallelujah. So how do you fight your battles when you are in war? Because here's the issue. Most of us, the enemy attacks us intentionally because he wants us to put our hands down, stop worshiping, get stressed out. 
He doesn't understand it when people worship in the face of adversity. He was standing there that day when Jehoshaphat and the children of Judah went out to face that huge army. And they go out worshiping and the devil's like, huh? He can't get it. Amen. What his intentions are every time you go through a trial is to knock the praise right out of you. And your instinctive response is to put your hands down, drop your head, mope around, look like you're sad, lost your best friend, your lip is dragging on your shoe top. You know what I'm talking about. You know what you need to learn to do? This is how you fight your battle when you're in need. Throw your hands up, praise him anyway, give God the glory anyhow. He's still God. He's still in charge. Somebody give God some praise right now. I got to hurry. There are other places where the letter Shin is used. The letter Shin is not only found in the word El Shaddai. It is also found in the word Shalom. There it is. You see the letter Shin. Shalom means peace. We've all heard that as a, as a greeting that is common among Jewish people. They don't say, hello, how are you doing today? They say, shalom. And they don't say goodbye because it is the customary farewell to say shalom. Shalom not only means peace, it also means wellness. It means wholeness. It means completeness, soundness, tranquility. It means safety, contentment. It means prosperity. The word shalom is used over 200 times in the Bible. And here is one of them. And when they say shalom, by the way, what they're, they're saying is be filled with peace. Be filled with wellness. Be filled with completeness. Be filled with wholeness. Be filled with soundness. Be filled with tranquility. Be filled with safety. Be filled with prosperity. In Isaiah 26 and verse number 3, the scripture says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I love that because that's only one of the over 200 places that the word shalom is found in scripture. But the word perfect peace actually comes from this, the word perfect means shalom too. So what it's really saying is you will keep him in shalom, shalom. <laughs> Double peace. When you keep your mind stayed on Christ. That's why you can't afford to allow what you're walking through to get your eyes off of Jesus. Not even for a moment. Amen. In the Greek, the word for peace is irene. And of course, the Greek is the New Testament. If New Testament was written in Greek, but it borrows this concept from the Old Testament because it's the same Jewish people. Only now they have been taught under the Greeks to speak Greek. And so the, the letters of Paul were written in Greek. And here's what he says. He calls our God, the God of peace in Romans, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Philippians, second or 1 Thessalonians. And again, he is called the God of peace in Hebrews. So how do you fight stress? And how do you get peace? The same way you fight limitations and lack and need in your life. Don't put your hands in your pockets and mope around and let the enemy rob you of your joy and your praise. What you do is when you're fighting stress, throw your hands up and begin to allow the peace of God through worship 
to enter your life. Amen. But that's not all you're doing. That's how you're fighting your battle because you're releasing the lion of the tribe of Judah to attack what has been attacking you. I'm preaching better than you're responding. (laughs) Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. You look at the city of Jerusalem. The name of the capital city of Israel, of course, is Jerusalem. Been in the news a whole lot lately. There's its name right there. And right underneath it are the Arab words for Jerusalem. And as you can see, even in the Arab language, there's something similar because they borrowed this concept from the Hebrews. But look right in the middle of the word Jerusalem. You will see the shin, the letter shin. And it means city of peace. That's why that is there, city of shalom. In other words, that's strange because throughout its long history, Jerusalem has actually been totally destroyed twice, besieged 23 times, captured and recaptured 44 times, and attacked 52 times up before all this current stuff with the Palestinian uh, missiles coming in and the fighting back and forth. And it is a city, if there ever was one, without peace, it is a city without peace. But as I mentioned, right in the middle of its name is the word peace. Now you say, why is it called the city of peace and yet it doesn't have any? I'll tell you why. You you leave God out of the process, you will always end up at the wrong place. Hello, somebody. The United Nations is not God. Hello. Amen. And there is a day coming when there will be peace in the Middle East because the Prince of Peace is going to come, place his feet on Mount Olives and declare a new time or era has begun. Hallelujah to the Lamb. But as you can see, since the word Jerusalem has shalom in it, it also has the letter Shin in it, which is the name for God. There it is right there. That, that letter is the, the Hebrew letter that identifies El Shaddai. Now, there are three parallel valleys that come together in the city of Jerusalem. I do not know of any other major city or minor city for that matter that is built that has the same geographical or I I should say geological uh, feature. There are three valleys that are there. To the right I don't know if you can see that but that that right there that I'm let's see if I can move and I'm going to get there it is right there somewhere I I have to figure out which way to move camera where are you over there but right there okay that is the Kidron Valley now then camera follow me That right there is another valley known by several names, including the Valley of Rephaim. And then right over here, you have yet another valley. And that valley is also significant and important. And those three valleys literally are, if you look and you superimpose over them with this red line, they form the letter Shin. And so you see the Kidron Valley, you see the Valley of Rephaim, and then you see the Hinnom Valley or the Valley of Hinnom. So right there stamped into the the geology of the city itself, God has put his name. Now look, you might wonder why that's such a significant city. Deuteronomy 16 and 2, therefore you shall sacrifice, God said, the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd in the place where the Lord chooses to put his name. 
Now we always thought that just meant whatever area God chooses that's going to be sanctified by him. But look at 1 Kings eleven thirty six, talking about the descendants of David. And to his son, I will give one tribe that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. I don't know of another city in the world that has that kind of geological formation in it. And it's like God said, that's my city. I just stamped Shin before anybody ever lived there. And you know what's really significant is that middle valley right there. There, The mountain in between is called Mount Moriah. Anybody remember that? You find it popping up in Genesis twenty-two fourteen, As Abraham was sacri- sacrificing Isaac, he learned what are the covenant names of God. That covenant name for God is Jehovah Jireh. And we know that Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will provide. But just like the meaning of El Shaddai, when you say uh, you know, the God who is enough is an abbreviated form because what it really means is the God who is more than enough. Well, El Shaddai is abbreviated, but so is Jehovah Jireh and its meaning. When you say the Lord will provide what it really is saying there and the meaning of the name actually is in Genesis twenty two fourteen. Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord it the it being the Lord's provision shall be seen mm. amen now what does that mean In the mount of the Lord, the Lord's provision shall be seen. That was Mount Moriah. God told Abraham, go three days journey, offer your son, your only son, Isaac, as a sacrifice upon the mountain that I will show you of. And God selected Mount Moriah, that middle mound in those three valleys. And God said, this is it right here. And Abraham climbs to the top of the mountain and gets up there and builds the altar, lifts his hand and God causes the angel to grab his arm just before he kills his son and he said now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your only son from me Abraham was forfiguring the day foreshadowing the day when 2,000 years later our God would offer his only begotten son in that very same place on that very same mountain and Abraham announced it prophetically by saying in the mount of the Lord the Lord's sacrifice shall his provision shall be seen God's provision which was the antidote for sin was offered on Mount Moriah when Jesus carried his cross to the top of Golgotha and was sacrificed for our sins. Now, whenever the angel grabbed Abraham's arm, you see, here's what you need to know. Coming up the other side of the mountain while Abraham is trudging up his side of the mountain, there's a ram. And God is getting ready to allow that to be the provision. And so Abraham and the boy, Isaac, are climbing up the mountain and Abraham's heart is breaking as God's heart broke when his son was given on Mount Calvary. But you see, 
There was provision coming up the other side of the mountain. And I'm talking to some of you that are walking through some rough places in your life right now. Don't you stop. Because if Abraham had aborted the trip, he never would have seen the realm that was provision at the top. Because it's while you're climbing that your appointment is being made with the provision that God's about to supply. Don't stop obeying. Don't stop worshiping. Don't stop believing. Don't stop being obedient. Hello, somebody. Tell somebody my provision is on its way. And it was in the form of our provision for our sins, the sacrifice for our sins. Now, Abraham looked up and saw the ram with its horn caught in the the bushes. And the Hebrew word for ram is extremely interesting. I went and looked it up. In the Hebrew, in Strong's Concordance. And you know what it means? It means pillar of a door. The doorpost. Or the lintel of the door. That's the word that is used right there. In other words, God provided a door. Hmm. The realm that caught, was caught in the bushes became a door. A door to what, you might ask? The fulfillment of Abraham's destiny and the promises of God that God had spoken over him. In Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to bless you, make you great, make your name become great, make you be a blessing. Hello, somebody. I'm talking to someone right now. You need to know that the answer to everything that God wants to give you is in your obedience. Talking about the nature of God here. And it's foreshadowed all the way through the Bible. And so Jesus died for our sins on Mount Moriah. And you and I can find repentance and forgiveness that was foreshadowed in the scripture promised in the Old Testament. Our sins would be thrown forever into the sea of forgetfulness. Your sins I will remember no more. I will blot out your transgressions. All of these things God promised us are now being fulfilled on the cross of Calvary when the realm becomes a door. The Lamb of God becomes a passageway into favor with God. Amen. The Hebrew word for repentance is teshuva. It is spelled using the letter shin. Oh, there it is again. Right in the middle of that is El Shaddai, the symbol for El Shaddai. The name of Jesus by which we are saved from sin is also spelled using the letter Shin. There's the name of Jesus in Hebrew. And there it is again, the Shin, which is the symbol for El Shaddai. And so through repentance in the name of Jesus, you gain access. He is the door. Oh, Lord, have mercy. And this is what is beautiful. On the cross with his arms raised, Jesus became the living embodiment of the letter Shin on the cross of Calvary. God and his gift of himself to us. El Shaddai. The many-breasted one, the God who is more than enough, has just supplied not only just enough blood to get you by, but more than enough. More than enough. I want you to stop thinking of God as limited. He is more than enough. 
Somebody in the building that is struggling right now, you need to know this. God's got an ocean of blood, an ocean of forgiveness. Somebody that sinned until they don't think they can ever get away from the life they have lived. Its tentacles are wrapped around you. There's more than enough in the Father's embrace to forgive you of every sin you have ever done. And when we surrender to God in repentance, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I conclude, beloved, by telling you that we must glory not in our achievements and in our accomplishments, but in, in the cross. We glory in the cross because everything God ever planned came to that point of fulfillment on the cross of Calvary that day. Galatians 6, 14 Paul says, may I never boast in the cross or accept in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world is crucified to me and I to the world. The cross was the door that allowed us into the presence of God. Through the cross, we access El Shaddai, the God who is not just enough, more than enough for every need we will ever have. And this blows my mind, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he, God, made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Let's take that word us out of there and put me and say that for he, say it, would you? For he, come on, say it out loud. For he, that is God, made him to be sin for me me that we might become the righteousness of God in him the Hebrew word holy is the the Hebrew word Kodesh the word holy is also spelled using the letter Shin and when you go through that door that was opened at Calvary You become holy in the eyes of God, not because you have any worthiness of your own. And so to John's point, yes, we weep because we are not worthy. We're made of clay. We're taken from the dust of the ground. One of the most common and cheap elements that exist are substances in this universe. But when you walk through that door of the cross, he says, you're holy because I took your sins. I gave my righteousness to you, my holiness to you, but that's not all. In Jeremiah 31, verse 33 through 34, God says, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds. And I want you to read that next part out loud. Say this with me and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. For they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. God said, I will write my law in their hearts heart show this if you would that's the human heart i want you to take a look at what is right in the middle of the heart the hebrew letter shin is right in the middle of your heart 
You ever see somebody? They look so much like their daddy. You say, you couldn't deny that boy if you wanted to. You couldn't deny her if you tried. She looks too much like you. You can't deny your heavenly father if you try. He's written his name on your heart. That's the symbol for El Shaddai. Somebody in the building ought to give him some praise right now. You belong to God. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Every time your heart beats. Saying I belong to God. Devil can tell you anything he wants to tell you. But you belong to God. You raise your hands. This is how you fight your battles. You fight them in worship. You fight them in praise. You fight them in surrender. You fight them by giving God glory. And not only do you release the glory of God into your life, you release the line of the tribe of Judah. Mm. Now, I thought it was so cool that a couple of weeks ago, a tiger got loose in Houston. Now, folk lived in that area didn't think that was cool, none at all. But that was on the west side, so I can think it's cool. Amen. Listen, can you imagine going to your door and opening the door and a tiger? That's it right there. They don't even need to call the ambulance. You're a goner. Amen. I've often thought they ought to create a doorbell. Maybe they already have. That when you have unwanted salespeople constantly coming by, ringing your doorbell, it sounds like a German shepherd that's about that tall. And you hear complete with foots, you know, the the sounds of paws, the footprints, uh, you know, as it scratches against the hardwood floor. You won't have any problems with salespeople anymore after that. Just ring that doorbell. Think I'll move on to the next house. Amen. I got news for you. I got something better than having a tiger or a German shepherd. You come to my house, devil. I got a lion living there. You're going to have to deal with the lion of the tribe of Judah. You need to raise your arms and speak blessing over your family. Speak blessings over your children. Somebody shout and give God some praise today. We become holy because of him. Put up the word for Holy Spirit if you would. Ruach HaKodesh. Holy Spirit. See it? Starts reading from the right to the left. So that first part is spirit and like many languages they reverse the order of words and put the adjective uh, after the noun but you see what what holy ends with it ends with the very symbol that is the name of God God will fill you with his Holy Spirit and make you holy and so final point so what do you do how do you fight your battles you can get mad. You can give somebody a piece of your mind. 
you're probably only just have enough to get by yourself, so don't be giving any away. You know what I mean? Don't mean that as offensive. I don't want to give any away a piece of my mind. I need all I can get. Eh? You know what I mean? So what are you going to do? How are you going to fight your battle? Go into depression? Woo-hoo. Call a pity party? You notice nobody ever comes up who is invited. They don't want to come cry with you. Amen. Give an organ recital. <laughs> or some folk I have learned in life to never ask how they're doing. That's a secret you learn as a pastor. Some folk you say, how are you? How are you doing? Good. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Other folk, how are you doing? Well, you know, I've got this lumbago and I've got this. And they go into an organ recital right there. And 30 minutes later, the recital finally ends and you're pulling your fingers out of their hand because they won't let you go. You know what I'm telling you? Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. You're not old enough yet to have got there. Just hang around. You'll get there. Amen. So with people that I know are like that, I walk up and I say, praise God. Isn't God good? Hallelujah. Amen. How do you fight your battle? Expect someone else to do it for you. I can't worship for you. I love you and I'm your pastor, but I can't worship for you. And if you're the head of a home, I want you to listen to me right now. No one else can feel that role other than you. And I really am done. But if you want the holiness of God, you want the lion of the tribe of Judah in your heart. You release that by entering that door. Now, this is the last thing I'll say. Really is. Look at the shape of your hand. God has even put in your hand. Can you see the hand up there? Your hand carries the name of God in it. So when you raise your hand, you're telling the devil, back off, lines in the neighborhood. Amen. You better find somebody else's door to knock on, to bother. Lines in the neighborhood. Amen. His very name is recorded in your body, both in your heart and in your hands. He's written his name. Stand with me. So this is how I fight my battles. I hope you never look at raising your hands the same way ever again after today. Anybody in this building need the lion of the tribe of Judah to show up? Every head bowed. I'm still not done with this material. There's just so much I could go on and do another week with it, but let's, let's stop. With every head bowed, could I see the hands of those who need God in their life? You'd raise your hand and say, Pastor, I need a breakthrough in my life. I need God. I need to give my heart to the Lord. God bless you and you. God bless you. God bless you. Keep raising them. God bless you. I need God to show up. I need God in my life. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, sir. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Keep raising them. God bless you.
Father, I pray right now that you would forgive us of our sins. May we walk through that door of forgiveness that was purchased for us by the blood of Jesus. And may we come out the other side of that door of the new birth experience as children of God, born again, write our names in the book of life, forgive us where we failed you, cover us with your blood, cast our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. And we trust you and we believe in the efficaciousness of the blood of Jesus for our salvation. And we receive you as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And thank you for hearing our cry. Let's welcome every person that prayed their prayer into the body of Christ. Would you do that? Everyone that's taken their first steps. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer with us. Just before I pray for the rest of the congregation, let me point this out. If you're here today, you'll see a QR code on the screen and you'll see that you can text either a prayer request or let us know about salvation or that your request to be baptized or what you can do is join our Bible devotional that we send out every day. I write a devotional, includes a, a verse, a prayer, a brief explanation, and a worship song. We have over 1,700 families that are subscribed to it, that are receiving and joining in the same devotional every day. And you can join that. We can't join you. You have to do it yourself. Text JOIN to that same number or go to the QR code. And now the Holy Spirit is not done, but we're going to conclude with a word of ministry. There's a spirit of deliverance that is in this place. You can't talk about the lion of the tribe of Judah without a spirit of deliverance showing up. How many in this building need breakthroughs? Raise your hands right now. I don't know what kind you need breakthroughs. Okay, let's be more specific because there's a lot of people. With your hands put down now. How many need a breakthrough in their health? Would you raise your hand right now? Numbers of people across the building. God bless you. How many are having medical tests done this week? Would you raise your hand? Anybody? There. There. Because I feel a word. The Lord is going to do something for you. Amen. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Let's pray right now. Stretch your hands right over that direction and say in the name of Jesus, healing. And healing for all of those. How many need a financial breakthrough? Could I see your hand? Anybody here? You know what I really feel burdened for right now is relational breakthroughs. This last year has been tough on marriages, tough on families, tough on kids, tough on husbands, tough on wives. Who am I talking to? You'd raise your hands and form the name El Shaddai. You're talking to me, Pastor. I need a breakthrough in relationships. We're going to pray. Lord. I'm asking you to meet every need that is here. I'm asking you to intervene. I'm asking you to touch hearts. 
I'm asking you to heal. I'm asking you to give breakthroughs. I really feel that. I don't know who I'm talking to. Let, Let me interrupt. Every head is bowed right now. There is a family that is in crisis mode at this very moment. Where are you at right now? Let me see your hand. You're in crisis mode. Okay, there you are. There you are. Every head is bowed. Devil, you're a liar. I come against you in the name of Jesus and plead the blood over this family. They're children of God. I'm asking you, Lord, to heal, bring forgiveness, bring deliverance, bring grace, grace. We speak grace, shalom, shalom, perfect peace, perfect peace. El Shaddai, we speak perfect peace, shalom in that home, in the name of Jesus.